You're listening to Ghost Radio, Station 0.5. It's the devil in the dive, and up next is another rad episode of Bad Band Great Song. Let's do this. Um, so I, I, this is another week. I don't have a bit. There's no bit for this. The, 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 but the, but the, unlike last week where the bit was that there is no bit, there actually is no bit this time. I just want to start this episode off by saying to you, Jerry, to you too, because we haven't had this conversation. I should have talked about this with you before we started the show, whatever. And I want to say this to you, to the audience. I think today's, oh, no. no, 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 this is good. I think today's audience, today's episode rather, is a very important and crucial episode in this show's catalog thus far. Because as you see, folks, usually we say this band is bad, this song is great. And that is basically mm-hmm. what we're going to say today, but it's, whether this band is bad, whether this music is bad, separate from the song, or this is a funny one, folks. This is going to be, I think, a start of a new conversation with the show, and it's going to be more nuanced, even more nuanced, and less soundbite friendly moving forward. So, a lot of times, we're going to be really asking, "Is this band bad?" How about that? Isn't that interesting? I like a questioning episode. This is this episode makes me question a lot. And on that note, hello everybody, and welcome to the podcast that will piss you off. This is Bad Band, great song, and I did not have that cue ready. I am your host, Andrew Patrick Finelli, and with me is your other. <laughs> The other host of the show. I didn't say Anna. I didn't say her like Ja. I mean, actually, you say Jaffe's name. How are you doing, Jaffe? Hi, Jaffe. Happy belated birthday, by the way. And our other host of the show, Jeremy Cohen. Jerry. How you guys doing? How you been? What's going on, everybody? Glad to be here. <laughs> the pen. We're focusing. That was excellent. That was excellent work, by the way. On yes. the fly. That was real. The pen we're focusing our critique on today. That's why we do a show together. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's OMC and their song, How Bizarre. Destination unknown as we're pulling for some gas. Officially placed the poster reveals a smile from the pack. Elephants and acrobats, lion snakes, monkey. Bella speaks righteous, Sister Cena says funky How bizarre How bizarre, how bizarre Ooh baby, ooh baby It's making me crazy, it's making me crazy Every time I look around Every time I look around Every time I look around How bizarre. <laughs> was that it? Was that how, is that how you're singing today? Yeah, I guess that's all I got. That's today. all you got to say, man. How bizarre is OMC's biggest hit. It's so iconic. It has fully eclipsed the man and team behind the song. It's a song that, to many, is a novelty hit. 
Yeah, I love this song, but it's for sure a novelty. But to the Pacific Island peoples of New Zealand, or Aotearoa in Māori, meaning Land of the Long White Cloud, OMC's How Bizarre isn't a novelty hit. It's just the tip of the iceberg of their sonic culture. I always thought Flight of the Concords was considered New Zealand's pinnacle of sonic culture. <laughs> but I guess they have a longer history than that. They do. They do. But shouts out to Flight of the Concords. Man, I loved them. That was good stuff. That was really good stuff. How Bizarre is a huge song. It's been lauded as New Zealand's biggest musical export, which was true for quite some time. Until the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. <laughs> That was, yes, exactly. OMC is not a huge group. They never really were, even at their peak. OMC is not exactly a band with fans. Hell, they don't even have stands as far as I can tell. But what OMC does have is a new generation of Musica Pacifica in its wake, just waiting to make an impact. So we are going to examine OMC and their song, How Bizarre, in detail to articulate how and why to make the case. At the OMC is a, oh, it's a bad band. How Bizarre is a great song. Let's, let's jump into that Chevy and head for the big lights. You want to know the rest? I do, yeah. Hey, buy the rights. How about that? Pauli Fuemana is why we're here today. He is the man at the center of OMC, a.k.a. Otara Millionaires Club. He is the face and voice you know and associate with the song. He is the personality and artist behind the group and its key song. And his story is far more bizarre than you may think. How bizarre is it? Very bizarre, Jerry. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Polly Fuemana, the pride of Otara, South Auckland, New Zealand. He's a man of Nuean and Maori descent. He grew up in Otara, a suburb of South Auckland, New Zealand. Otara is noteworthy for being primarily made up of Pacific Islanders, indigenous folk, and not... Pakeha, a.k.a. New Zealander, European New Zealanders, a.k.a. fair-skinned, non-Maori New Zealanders, a.k.a. fucking white people. FYI, Pakeha is a Maori word. Thank goodness you looked up all the pronunciations for this episode. We try here. We, we really do. Otara is the O in OMC. You see, OMC stands for Otara Millionaires Club, an ironic name as Otara is definitely not known for having a millionaire population. Quite the opposite, actually. But of course, Fuemana would eventually become a millionaire from Otara. Well, I guess that means we need to rename this show Bad Band Great Song <laughs> yeah. Millionaires yeah. Club. Yeah, but the name, the name manifestation law... Yeah, exactly. But, well, this point forward. <laughs> but to be clear, folks, Otara is analogous to many communities in, in America and, and predominantly white countries, basically. Communities that are purposefully impoverished, communities that are turned into food deserts, communities that are placed under such unfathomable economic and societal constraints that it, it's no surprise that crime occurs. To be clear, even the most affected and genteel among us would turn into someone unrecognizable if you took away their lifestyle and forced them to scrounge and steal for the chance to simply get by. In fact, gang affiliation is a severe problem in Otada. Otada is home to some good old-fashioned American government-instigated gangs like the Bloods and the Crips. Don't know how the, how the FBI and America basically destroyed the Black Panthers and created black gang warfare? Well, read about Cointelpro, please. We, we don't... <laughs> have the time to adequately go over all that here. 
How do the Bloods and the Crips end up in New Zealand? Ah, that's another complex and complicated issue that we don't really have the resources to get into. But it's safe to say, after reviewing what white New Zealanders have to say, they don't quite get it. It's the typical, uh, they see it on TV and in the movies, so they copy it and come from impoverished backgrounds, broken homes, no father figures Which is type of thing. crazy. It's insane, right? It's just this idea that like, oh, there's no father, so that's clearly why bad things happen. <laughs> like, clearly not institutionalized racism, right? Anyway. So, folks, this, everything we just talked about, this is just a sliver of a slice of a glimpse out of picture of life in Otara. This meager understanding is at least some context with which we can attempt to approach and hopefully understand the world Polly Fuemana grew up in. Because, folks... Polly Fuimana's name is a name you should all know, just as much if not more than any other person we or anybody else covers. Because what he came up in and what he overcame to become as big as he was is truly remarkable. It's awe-inspiring, actually. And maybe even awesome. <laughs> Time will tell, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. And I, listen, I don't want to lose sight of that, any of that, even once we get to the part of the show where we declare that the band is bad. If you couldn't tell, by the way, by the tone we're setting here, folks, this is not going to be an episode about laughing at the guy in the band. And really, it never is. It just kind of ends up happening. <laughs> you know, we like, we like to laugh. We like to have a good time here. We really like to have fun, you know? Yeah, we're fun guys, you know? <laughs> oh, and quickly, I have to shout out the V family. That's V spelled V-E-E. So simple, I'm sure that'll confuse somebody. But The V Family is a wonderful YouTube channel run by Richie and Cherish, two wonderful people deeply in love with some sweet kiddos, and their content is a really wonderful and beautiful representation of cultures and, and in Australia and New Zealand. How much, how much of their stuff did you watch? I spent an afternoon watching their content. I was so curious they tell about some fantastic their family, stories. though, do they? They do. And, right. they, and they have a very lovely vlog about the uh, Otada market, which I suggest you all should watch. Folks, we'll link that in the description of the show. It's worth watching. And I, I really want you to all watch that, lest you get the extreme wrong idea about Otada, which can happen from consuming Pakeha-made content about Otada. You just hear about how crime-ridden it is. But yeah, there are, there are a couple of bakers, actually, based in Melbourne, Australia, I believe. Wonder, wonderful stuff, you know? Yeah, that's just wonderful, Fanny. Yeah. Did you like, subscribe, and hit the bell in the corner to get notified when they release I the videos did. and I, content? I, I did, yeah. Good. How you did that? your part. <laughs> yeah. By the way, folks, like, subscribe. Don't forget to leave a review if you're listening with your Apple Music Player, your iTunes, Apple, yeah. iPod, whatever the fuck. It's the podcast. This is a podcast, right? Follow anyway. us on Instagram and give money to our Patreon. Yep, which is totally up right now. We have that going right now. Yep. Anyway, moving on. Some other wonderful stuff before things get kind of dark. Phil Fuemana. Phil is Paulie Fuemana's older brother. He's a bit chiller, too, which is something we'll talk about in a little, a little bit. Phil was already making music before brother Paulie got into the scene. Phil's career in earnest started with a family band featuring the brothers as well as their sister, Christina. Fuemana made the sort of genre-bending, cutting-edge street pop music that would define the art made by Pacific Island folks in New Zealand. Let's listen. Let's bump. Let's enjoy a bit of Rocket Love by Fuemana right now. Your Symphonies by Michael Brown 
That is fucking incredible music. I don't know, man. I love it. Yeah, it's definitely a vibe. Like I get the candles out kind of <laughs> But there's all these aliens in the video. What, all the more reason. I guess so. It's super strange. <laughs> hey, man, those aliens like to probe. But while that may be wonderful stuff and incredible music... That is not how Polly Fuemana's early experience went. In what appears to be a local New Zealand rendition of 2020, which I checked, I, there is there is local New Zealand 2020. It's tremendous stuff. Anyway, Fuemana tells interviewers that the first 14 years of his life were spent either committing crime or doing time in youth prisons. New Zealand hard as fuck. <laughs> well, while Othada is a beautiful home to many, it is indeed also an impoverished community and there is crime there as we touched on. That is what Pauli Fuemana experienced. So in many ways, the story is not unlike many entertainers we have here in America who overcome classism and racism and survived in difficult times to end up thriving later. Yeah, the pain associated to art is always quite the tale yeah kind of wish it didn't have to be that way but you know but that life in crime began to change for Fuemana when he met an older local folk hero of sorts Sully Paia Paia is an ex-gang member who is a veteran youth worker worker based in Otada Paia is often in the local news to this day actually yeah from those videos he seems like a real wholesome he seems like a chiller yeah yeah. One of those classic, like, raise the youth up in a terrible situation kind of guys. Exactly, you know? yeah. Like, he really, he had very nurturing vibes. Every neighborhood needs him. Every dead neighborhood does need a Sully Paya. Absolutely. Meanwhile, Phil was laying the groundwork for Polly's future success. Phil is known as the godfather of South Auckland. He is seen as a progenitor and essential fixture in the urban Pacifica scene. Urban Pacifica is a subgenre of hip-hop that is unique to New Zealand, and specifically the Pacific Islanders who inhabit the country. Rapping in urban Pacifica often features Polynesian languages, such as Maori, Samoan, Nguyen, and Tongan. It features influences from hip-hop, folk, pop, rock, jazz, soul, reggae, and aspects of folk. You'll hear, you'll hear trumpets and ukulele samples. That's good. I always felt like there needs to be more ukulele samples <laughs> in rap. <laughs> Yeah, this is, ukulele is an underrepresented instrument yeah. in a lot of Western music, man. It's true. Oh, man. Well, folks, it's hip-hop through and through, but it has its unique flavors and elements due to its cultural context. The genre's name comes from a seminal 1994 compilation produced by Alan Jansen. This comp is titled Proud, an Urban Pacific Street Soul Compilation. In an uncredited piece from nzmusician.com that dates back to June-July 1994, clearly a digitized article, we learn, quote, Phil became involved in the Proud Project when he was asked to find South Auckland groups to participate. He then became tour manager and spokesman for Proud. The Proud album, dubbed Urban Pacific Street Soul, 
was produced in a joint venture between Enterprise Otada, a community projects group, and Second Nature Records. Second Nature's parent company is the Australian dance label Volition Records, which in turn belongs to Sony Australia. Mm, Sony. Mm -hmm. Phil worked with Alan Jansen at Second Nature's Uptown Studios. And this connection, folks, between Phil Fuemana and Alan Jansen is what begot OMC, essentially. We'll get there. But first, let's listen to a track. Let's listen to the first track off the Proud Comp by Sisters Underground titled In the Neighborhood. Cause if I don't pretty soon, I think I'll go Lulu Every day seems like the same old thing Listen to the brothers talking about the damn Mac-10 I gotta roll, cause I got a feeling I gotta keep the sound of the underground reeling And I'm out like bell-bottom trousers Pretty funky chunky dropping beats by the hour And you know, the sisters on the boulevard Don't give me props, they're just too damn hard Stroll right past them, roll right past them Even though they talk crap and make me wanna blast them Because I'm chill, I have to keep subliminal Cause I know my enemies are white collar criminals Now, let's check out Dina Vey, Dawn of the Eve. And let's wrap this sampling up with We Are the OMC by Otada Millionaires Club. Yeah, you know, matching your overs gonna be easy. Flip 
outside watching my back is gonna please me Holding you down is gonna be backstabber I said backstabber, you don't believe me, kid, you really See, I'm not joking, you're gonna be choking on the shit down your throat That'll be the joke of the week Going down with us, you're a freak And that'll be your name on the street, free. Got to understand We are the O to the M to the C Millionaire's Club We are the O to the M to the C Millionaire's Club Got to understand We are the O to the M to the C Millionaire's Club We are the O to the M to the C A little more hard than how bizarre, huh? How about that? This isn't the oddly suave Polyfuemana and, and co of future OMC. This is a fucking like straight anthem from some dudes who are fed the fuck up being held down. They're dreaming of a new New Zealand. Ooh, that was well done. I fucking no, I I I love I love I love the Billy Bragg song. So I don't know. Anyway, yeah, come, yeah. come on. It took every ounce of strength, by the way, not to just play hundred percent of each of those songs because they're all just so so fucking good and I fuck with each track just so hard. But that would have been a little over ten minutes of music, which I I mean, this is a music show allegedly, but Yeah, who said this was a music show? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, folks. Just to see the progression of Urban Pacifica. Now let's let's go a little further into the future. Let's let's hear some of Fade Away by Che Fu, released in 2001. No, I'd never see the day smooth right get it all right let's allude a little further into the future and sample some mid-2010s urban pacifica this this is this is freaks by tiny trumpet and savage hype song man so as you can hear there's large variation in this urban pacifica sound so it's really not fair to call it folk it's not fair to call it dance it's not fair to call it hip-hop it's not fair to call it soul it's certainly not fair to call it reggae it's not fair to call it that because it's all of those things to varying degrees at different times and being produced by different artists it's girl talk it's But there are connective threads in this genre of music. And while identity and ethnicity, those are essential elements to it, there's also a cultural context, one that transcends the various ethnicities and cultures that Urban Pacifica comprises. Yeah, it's one of those very locational genres. Absolutely. Of a place. Absolutely. This is a real scene in ways, you know. And wouldn't you know it, the youth 
is out there right now, keeping it real and doing it with a pride and purpose that is unlike anything that has preceded them. Folks, there is, there is a Spotify playlist called Musica Pacifica. This playlist is designed to, quote, celebrate Aotearoa's finest Pacific artists with this playlist featuring bangers from Kenzie, from Welly, Poetic, Disciple Patty, Jarna, and heaps more. Heaps! Heaps! This Spotify playlist will be linked in the episode description for the show. So give that a listen, folks. Like it, add it, whatever, uh, you know, it is on Spotify. I hit it with the heart. I, I made the heart green, you know? Did your part. So, OMC came about when one day Phil and proud producer Alan Jansen were having a heated argument and Pauly Fuemana happened to come into the room. OMC... Featuring Polly and Phil was the group heard on the Proud compilation, but eventually Phil set the group aside, in effect, handing it over to Polly. And so, Polly Fuemana, along with Alan Jansen, would be OMC, Otada Millionaires Club. The group was rounded out by Herman Lotto and Paul Av. As Jansen confirms, OMC wrote eight songs the night before their first gig, and one of those songs was How Bizarre. How Bizarre was originally called Duff It Up, and when Jansen told Fuemana that's bizarre, Fuemana instantly realized, how bizarre, that's it. This is according to Fuemana in that local New Zealand version of 2020, by the way. As we'll soon see, his biographer, Simon Grigg, has a different take on the song's name's origins. So the lyrics were just like, duff it up, duff it up. (laughs) (laughs) And then they changed it to have bizarre. I guess so, yeah. Is that what it was? That's really funny. Because also according, I I had to, I was like, what does duff it up mean? Because it has to mean something. It's slang for something. So I looked it up phrases.org.uk Okay. Didn't have duff it up. But they had up the duff, a phrase uh, used to describe an unplanned pregnancy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I don't know. So duff it up feels a little aggressive. It, I think it was always aggressive. I mean, I thought it was like kind of like fuck it up, fuck shit up, mess things up, you know, duff it up. Yeah. I don't know why. I thought it was an aggressive thing. I didn't think it was anything to do with pregnancy, but I thought it was an aggressive thing. It's very aggressive. Well, the song has allegedly nonsensical lyrics. Though Fuemana has asserted he's referencing stories that Otada locals would know. Alan Jansen would later tell Billboard that the song was written with Mink DeVille's Spanish stroll, quote, in mind. For those who don't know, Mink DeVille was a CBGB's house band. They're a proto-punk, straightforward, like, boogie-woogie rock band. So here's a bit of Spanish stroll. Hey, Mr. Jim, I can see the shape you're in. Finger on your eyebrow and left hand on your hip. Thinking that you're such a lady killer. Yeah, it's that tingly, trebly guitar I'm hearing in both. Okay. Mm. I mean, I was just, I didn't, I don't hear it, and I typically hear quite a bit in a bit. 
I didn't hear it this in the song, but that's interesting. That's interesting. I don't know. Maybe it's that that like laid back vibe that it has. Yeah. But again, that's it's, where that's where I'm starting to hear like Walk on the Wild Side and Velvet Underground, which we're going to touch on toward the end of the show, folks. But Alan Jansen would tell a New Zealand press that the Velvet Underground and Bob Dylan were big inspirations on him. Again, again, Alan Jansen is the producer behind Polly Fuemana's work. Right. Well, anyway, moving on. <laughs> the point is this music has a lot of eclectic, varied, and strange influences that you yeah, wouldn't expect. Totally. Well, anyway, the very next day, they played the Big Day Out Festival in Auckland, New Zealand. And they bombed. They absolutely stunk. Surprise, surprise. But that didn't matter because OMZ was eventually signed to Simon Griggs' label called Huh. What? Yes, the label is called Huh. Hmm. How about that? Huh? 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 Greg, it's, it's honestly. What's it's it called? <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. It's uh, not an easy name to fucking Google. That is, this is not an easy <laughs> fucking label to Google. I'll tell you that much, yeah. folks. The label is H U H exclamation point. Have fun. Have fun with that. You go do some research on that label. Huh? Huh? <laughs> oh my what? god. Well, Simon Grigg, the man behind the label. Huh? also wrote a book about Fuemana and OMC called How Bizarre, Polly Fuemana and the Song That Stormed the World. When asked about the writing of the song, here's where we get a little discrepancy, folks. When asked about the writing of the song, Grigg told the Star newspaper of the unfortunately named Christchurch, New Zealand, it has the mariachi trumpets there, which Paulie got from listening to Herb Alpert records when he was a kid. And the acoustic guitar is an Allen thing from hearing folk rock on the radio. And Paulie's vocal is almost a hip-hop consciousness style. So it was all these elements mixed together. And Alan's wife kept on saying, how bizarre about things. How bizarre. How bizarre. And we thought, oh, that's, that's a good phrase. You know, you'd say something to her and she'd go, how bizarre. So it came from her. Hmm. Stories that don't line up. Love to see it. Love to report it. Just reminds you that sadly, sometimes reality is whatever the fuck you make of it and not what it actually is. How about that? Yeah. If you want to know something right, you got to be there yourself. Absolutely. And somebody will still tell you you're wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in any case, Huh? Eventually released. How bizarre! The single. How bizarre! On, how bizarre! On this, the single was released on December fifteenth, nineteen ninety-five. It was distributed internationally via Polydor and Mercury Records. How bizarre! Tore up domestic New Zealand and international charts. It sold like crazy too. Both things we'll talk about later. How bizarre! However, would run into a familiar issue in America, one we covered in episode one of this season, Natalie and Brulia Torn. You see, How Bizarre didn't have a physical release in America while it was burning up the radio, which means it wasn't allowed to be recognized on the Billboard Hot 100. The single was eventually released for purchase in America on February 25th, 1997, the same day as the album's American release. How Bizarre the album was initially released, however, on September 26th, 1996 in New Zealand. That's super bizarre. It seems like such a missed opportunity that we've we've seen before with so many record labels where they're just like, we just didn't print any. Yeah, it's insane. Like, we just didn't make any, you know? Like, what? 
It's insane Why? how quickly th- it's insane how quickly things ex- like are introduced and expire now, and how quickly things were not n- moved on back then. Yeah, it's insane, yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, <laughs> well, how hard could it have been to fucking make some CDs? Right when you yeah, have all the fucking millions, ah, uh, whatever. I'm, I don't know anything about production and industry and supply chains. I'm not going to get into it, especially in the '90s. I don't know what the fuck was going on then. I was a child. But by 1997, you were a child. <laughs> I was a child. I mean, it, well, it was unfortunate, man. It was tragic. Let me tell you about it sometimes. But anyway, by 1997 and the American release of OMC's How Bizarre, Polly Fuemana was 100% a millionaire from Otara. Amazing. So now we're going to learn how he started a club. <laughs> exactly. We got Otara. We got the money. Now you just need the real estate. Now we need the club. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The real uh, That was a reference to before we hit the record uh-huh. button, folks. How about that? How bizarre has been estimated to That's have- bizarre. <laughs> How bizarre the single, by the way, folks, the single has been estimated to have earned Fuemana anywhere from 1.5 to- 11 million. That's 1.5 oh, okay. billion to 11 million dollars. Yes, huge disparity there. But as we'll see with Fuemana and OMC, there is sadly not one right answer to any question. Yeah, I mean, that's quite the gap. It really <laughs> yeah. absolutely is. That's, that's an absurd, really. that's a huge difference. So, how Bizarre also took Fuemana around the world touring nonstop. Neil Reed reports for Stuff.co.nz on February 18th, 2010, in a piece titled Paul Fuemana, The Real Story. Quote, touring alongside U2 Cheap Trick, The Cardigans, Cher, Smashing Pumpkins, and The Wu-Tang Clan, OMC even performed on an aircraft carrier as Bon Jovi's support act. How about that? How about that for success? Hmm? Wait, so like he performed entire sets right, right. with a whole <laughs> band, or like he was just doing one song with a DJ behind it? Yeah, I, they performed like the album or as much of it as they could, you know. What's going on? What are you peeping? Your cat's in my backpack under your desk. Do you want me to stop that? No. Okay. But that success would ultimately be finite and quite short-lived. Polyfuemana was known to sign bad deals. It's a story that we've sadly covered before, just with different folks. Astute listeners will recall Rob Pilatus and Fabrice Morvan, the faces of Millie Vanilli. They famously signed a contract in German, a language Fab did not understand, and Rob, who was German... Did not read the contract. Yeah, that's definitely one educational takeaway for the listener at home. Don't sign contracts in languages you don't speak or understand and or if can't it, read. It, right, and if it is a language you can read, 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 read it. it, read it, read the contract. Get, get someone you trust who is smarter than you to read the contract. Not necessarily smarter than you, but more more taught and educated in legal jargon language meant to confuse lay people. Hmm, how about that? Interesting what jargon and coded language and arcane information is designed to do, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> Makes things harder for us to understand. Hmm. How about that? 
Now, there's a lot of misinformation and poorly recorded facts. Even biographer Simon Grigg admits that there are several versions of quite a few stories regarding Fuemana and OMC. But on July 16th, 2006, Grigg spoke with Simon Collins from the NZ Herald. This article, spoiler alert, was published just 10 days after Fuemana was declared bankrupt. This is roughly 10 years after how bizarre how bizarre stormed the charts. 10 years ain't bad to be on top. I don't think it was on top exactly for all 10 of those years. Well, let's see. Collins reports for the NZ Herald, quote, Simon Grigg, whose label published the How Bizarre album, said on his website that he and Jansen had to sell the rights to the song to Polygram, now Universal, <laughs> to cover the costs of taking the song worldwide. They, quote, proceeded to mishandle and generally make an appalling dog's breakfast of the project and Polly's career. Universal Music NZ managing director Adam Holt declined to comment because of course he did. And that's not the only record label tomfoolery that allegedly was afoot. In a story that is quite undertold, proud producer and one half of OMC, Alan Jansen, ended up suing Polly Fuemana over royalties to the name OMC and the song How Bizarre. That's bizarre. <sighs> so bizarre. As Jansen tells local New Zealand 2020, my favorite 2020, record executives got in between him and Fuemana, driving a wedge between the two. So in 1998, Jansen filed a lawsuit against Fuemana. Yeah, this is going to be a real sad story, it's huh? It's going to be a real sad story. I feel like we're just going downhill from here. <laughs> That's kind of where we are. By the way, folks, have you listened to our Millie Vanilli episode? <laughs> ah, moving on. This was settled out of court with Fuemana allegedly play- paying Jansen a sum of money with Jansen relinquishing any future rights to the name and the song. But things were not done going wrong. See, exactly. That's what I thought. Here mm, we go. This is that part of the show, folks. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You can actually expect this part of the story to come. It's really nuts at this point. Yeah. <laughs> when things get really bad, it's the perfect time for a rim shot. <laughs> Subsequent singles, right on and on the run, failed to catch fire outside of New Zealand, only just breaking into charts in Australia, Germany, Netherlands, and Sweden. The final single from the album, How Bizarre, Land of Plenty, did reach number four on the New Zealand charts, but it failed to make an impact at all on any other chart in any other country. Yeah, I'd put money on it at home. You haven't heard these songs because I definitely didn't before working on the episode. And the song is just about New Zealand. It is just about New Zealand. So it's like very specific. It's a very specific. It's another one of those locational songs. Don't feel bad that you, <laughs> if you're not in New Zealand. Don't feel bad if you haven't heard it. Locational song is a new genre. I don't want to. I want to plow head first into that genre of music moving forward. All right. Well, let's start Just a band. Loca- <laughs> no. For Mana's relationship <laughs> with his label was put under severe stress. I don't want people like us to make a show about us. Fuwe Mana's relationship with his label was put under severe stress when he was pressured to record a cover of Randy Newman's I Love L.A. for the 1997 Rowan Atkinson film, Bean, the movie. I saw that movie, by the way, in theaters, and I loved it. Yeah, that movie was great. It was great. 
Yeah, anything anything Rowan does is great. Absolutely. Ooh, Rowan, I like that. But the public did not love the OMC cover of I Love LA, by the way, folks. The single flopped and failed to chart. <laughs> this, soured the record, ah, this soured the record executives who clearly only saw Fuimana as someone to exploit and squeeze every last drop out of, huh? How bizarre. <laughs> But that's not all. Things still get worse. Yeah, I had a feeling. We're still on that steep slope. Yeah. Well, as stated earlier, folks, OMC was touring nonstop. And as Jerry kind of intimated earlier, that's like, really? They were playing full shows, right? Well, we're going to talk about that now. Performing is a physical drain. Not, maybe not if you're like Wayne Newton or some other lounge lizard like that. You know, dudes just just get up and sing songs from the Great American Songbook. They're just standing there and singing. You know, but I mean, even that, even that, even just standing there and belting is an intense physical experience that you need some good lung capacity for. Actually, I'm sitting here in my chair and just screaming and gesticulating as I am to try to perform this script in a somewhat entertaining fashion is actually somewhat physically demanding on my fucking diaphragm and my breathing and like my emotions and my focus. <laughs> like performing is not easy, <laughs> you know, right. and it's physical. And, and folks, okay, so here's the point. Imagine being a pop star and doing full-on choreography, constantly dancing to keep the crowd's energy up and singing full voice and on pitch the whole time. The fact of the matter is, much of the music we fuck with really isn't designed to be performed live and still sound the way we expect it to. OMC, Polly Fuamana, was not an act built for the live show grind. The point is, folks, about a year, year and a half, close to two years in, Fuamana was run ragged. In an August 21st, 2015 interview with the New Zealand Herald, Grigg tells the Herald about how touring didn't work for Fuamana. Quote, Among the missteps in Fuamana's short international career, says Grigg, is that once Fuamana got his own management, the Australian company treated OMC like any other rock band and put him on tours when Fuamana and his ring-ins weren't much of a live act. They couldn't get their head around the fact that he wasn't part of that model. Part of that was, this is Greg talking, part of that was my fault. I brought management on board that came out of the old school thing, and especially Australia was very rock and roll. It was get up and play, pay your dues, and Polly was never that artist. And lest you think, folks, that Polly, just little old Polly, quote, was never that artist, again, Many artists whom we all love are not, quote, that type of artist. This weariness from touring ostensibly led to the next big milestone of misery. Was that the name of his next? <laughs> Was that the name of his next record? <laughs> no, but it's mine now. <laughs> Polly's brother, Tony Fuemana, tells Neil Reed for stuff.co.nz, quote, there are a lot of stories about him confronting a lot of record label executives over there. In the U.S. And I know that most of those stories are true, he said. There were a lot of the physical ones. We had taken a 20-hour bus trip, and we got there at 6 in the morning. They wanted a TV interview at 6.30 a.m. Polly asked them if he could just have a shower and something to eat before they left, Tony said. They threatened to pull the concert that night if he didn't do the interview. The rep said, you have to be there at 6.30 or we'll pull the plug on your show and the rest of your shows. Paulie said he wanted to go back and talk to me, but 
They got him and they just pulled him from the shoulder off the bus. Paul turned around and pushed him back. Paul didn't want to be manhandled and the rep fell through the window. The guy said, I'm going to sue you. <laughs> Not exactly the way to get the label on your good side. Folks, stand your ground and protect yourself, but don't. I mean, maybe, but don't. Maybe don't. Maybe don't throw record executives out of tour bus windows. It's probably not going to end well. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a pretty good general rule just to not throw anyone out of any window. That is a great idea. And by the way, folks, defenestration, defenestration, to defenestrate is to throw someone or something out of a window. There's a word for that. How about that? Isn't that interesting? That's like fascinating stuff. Defenestrate. Don't do it. Defenestrate. Don't do it. Don't do it, but if you, you need to know the word, defenestrate. Then, in 1999, everything came to an end. Polly Fuemana's grandmother had fallen ill and died. Fuemana ceased his touring and returned home to attend his grandmother's funeral. Very human thing, very good thing to do. But, <laughs> capitalism. <laughs> this was the point of no return. All label support was pulled, and any efforts to promote Fuemana and his one true hit were ceased. Between 1999 and 2006, Fuemana would spend his time still trying to promote How Bizarre, making some more bad deals, being a bit too generous with his money, and spending on himself in a way that severely outstripped his earnings. Yeah, well, put it all on red, right? Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But before the bottom fell out for Polly, another tragedy would strike his family. Phil Fuemana, the godfather of South Auckland and the progenitor of Urban Pacifica, died of a heart attack on February 28th, 2005. Ah, shit. Rest in power, Phil. Rest in peace and power, Phil. You certainly left a pretty dope legacy. He absolutely did. That's quite a legacy. A A genre. Again, a fucking genre. Again, folks, listen to that proud comp. We'll link to it. Listen to the Musica Pacifica uh, playlist. We'll link to it. This is great stuff. Uh, paper bag zigzags. <laughs> Shout out to Afro Man. Couldn't have done it without you. By June 6th, 2006, Polly Foymana was officially declared bankrupt. Cocaine is uh, a hell of a drug. <laughs> that was good. Fine, that was good. Sorry. On June 16th, 2006, the New Zealand Herald reports, quote, Liquidator Vivian Fadapaito concluded last year that directors Polly and Christine Foymana, Christine being his wife, quote, lived extravagantly on the early royalty proceeds, but that their lavish lifestyle had not contracted when the royalties began to diminish. That means they kept balling when they shouldn't have, folks. That means they kept balling when they shouldn't have. Stay balling. (laughs) If you can, if you reasonably and responsibly can, but don't put your family at risk, folks. There is a moment in time when keeping it real goes wrong. R.I.P. Dave Chappelle. <laughs> All Fuimana's assets were sold in the year before finally declaring bankruptcy. However, there were remaining creditors, and those remaining cre- creditors were owed $91,440.44. But Paulie Fuimana and his wife Christine were broke, leaving them and their six children in a perilous position. Yeah, that's brutal. And that's also way too many kids. 
It really fucking is. Which, by the way, Nick Cannon, I'm not going there, but that man has to be fucking stopped. But what about the royalties Foymana should receive from his hit song, right? Hmm. Well, allegedly, Foymana was, by the end, only earning 50000 a year off royalties. And again, he owed creditors over 91000 Now, some boomers, some people, I don't know, some people out there maybe don't understand how inflation works. Maybe they don't understand the cost of living has far exceeded the wages people make and, and the value of our money. 50000 a year? A lot. That's a lot more than a lot of folks make. But it's not a lot of money for even a single adult living in a city. 50000 a year for a husband and wife who have six children and also owe creditors 91000 That's not a lot of money. Well, maybe they should quit drinking iced coffee. <laughs> and lay off those avocados too, right? Yeah. We've got to lay off the iced coffee and the avocado toast, and then, then you'd be able to invest in... In the stock market, right? That's how it works. Well, anyway, just one year later, in an act of some serious white savior bullshit, Alan Jansen, the man who began OMC with Polly Fuemana, the man who sued Polly Fuemana and didn't have to, mind you, came to Polly Fuemana's aid. I'm having fucking flashbacks to like Frank Farian trying to reunite, like reunite Rob and Fab after tanking their fucking careers and leaving them for dead, basically. Only for Rob to actually die just before the supposed return. Threats. Yeah, fucking white people, right? Am I right? Well, yeah, here we are now. Oh, man. Now, I'd like to be clear. I am, I am calling this white savior bullshit because it's just... Frankly, I've, I mean, just, just look, just look at the sketch. Just look at the outlines here. A white man, Susan Nguyen, Maori man who lacks an institutionalized education, grew up on the streets and had little awareness of the music industry. Our main character, Polly Fuimana, this Nguyen Maori man, goes broke after being taken advantage of by an entire industry. The white man who sued him came back about a decade later, still thriving off of the money that Fuimana paid him in the lawsuit. And he says, hey, Polly. Remember how I sued you? I'm going to take that money and help push you back into the spotlight. I don't know. Listen, if I am to be a bit kinder, I think Jansen was. I think he was and is feeling intense guilt, actually. You can see him in that 2020 piece. I believe he feels manipulated by... I believe he feels manipulated and I believe he feels guilty. I, I, I do. And I think it's sincere guilt. But boy... Boy, does this smack of some bullshit. That would be great if it was actually the attention, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not so <laughs> sure about that. Yeah, it's hard to say. It's I really say. don't know anymore. Man, I just expect yeah. the worst anyway. Well, in any case, around 2007, the OMC comeback single was released. And it's far more bizarre than you may expect. How bizarre? Very bizarre. Oh, man. The OMC comeback single for all of us, is one of the worst songs ever written and recorded, I swear. And it bizarrely features Lucy Lawless on the track. That's right, TV's Xena Warrior Princess provides strange and aimless, lilting, soft-voiced woman backup vocals on this truly abysmal and strange track. Well, Lucy Lawless is from New Zealand. Did you know that? <laughs> I, I mean, I did! I did. It's just, it's just like, why didn't, why, why, what's get, uh, 
I guess there was no other famous New Zealander at the time. It just seems so arbitrary, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. <laughs> it's amazing. So, folks, let's listen to a little bit of this track. Enjoy it. Oh, man. It's actually quite sad. I don't know. This track isn't, it's unfocused. It's an unfocused and unfinished sounding mess of a, of just a, of an acoustic guitar and heavily filtered vocals. It is moments when it kind of grabs me, you know, Fuimana's vocals are gravelly and distinct and I feel Right, this isn't part of the script, but I feel truth in the way this man sings, but holy shit, this song is a true fucking travesty. It almost quite literally sounds like, actually like literally phoned in as though he delivered the vocals by calling in, you know? Yeah, the mix and recording is pretty terrible. It definitely sounds like a demo. But Lucy Lawless's voice isn't as terrible as I expected. <laughs> no, she's great. She's great. And fuck Hercules, Kevin Sorbo is a fucking tool. Xena Warrior Princess all day. But regarding Fuimana's quote phoned in performance, there may be a valid reason as to why. Fuimana had been sick for quite some time. His health was steadily declining. Many people accused him of being a drunk and an addict, and while he did indulge, he did and he did sort of, you know, cover up immense pain. That's not quite what was going on here. His life was in peril. His health was bad. He was genuinely ill, and both he and his family chose to keep this a secret. Well, it's better to go out like Norm Macdonald than his house sitter. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't even know if it was like it's always his house sitter, but there was that one time <laughs> that guy was house sitting Norm Macdonald's house and no right. there. There's that weird story. Very dark. From 2016. <laughs> well, by the end of the 2000s, folks, Polly Fuimana was officially diagnosed with, oh boy, let me, let me see if I get this one out, chronic inflammatory Dem, demyelinating polyneuropathy CIDP is a very rare neurological disorder akin to multiple sclero sclerosis. CIDP is characterized by progressive weakness and impaired sensory function in the legs and arms. It is essentially a severe autoimmune disorder that just fucks up functioning. On January 31st, 2010, Pauli Fuimana died just eight days before his 41st birthday. But that's not quite the end of our story because the internet, specifically social media, specifically, sadly, TikTok. How bizarre. Ooh, baby, it's making me crazy. Yes, how bizarre. Blew up on the popular social media platform and app called TikTok, which was originally the very unpopular app called Musical.ly, <laughs> more or less. Musical.ly, you remember that one, folks? Well, I'm not here to discuss corporate mergers and acquisitions. But yes, How Bizarre blew up as an audio meme. In fact, as of December 2020, clips featuring the song totaled over 2.2 billion views, and they're all as painful as you'd expect. Welcome to the world in the early mid-21st century. Everyone's an entertainer. Everyone's got a bit 
Everyone's got a gimmick. How about that? How bizarre. <laughs> well said. And that today, that is today's story, folks. Let's 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 get going into the critical reaction, commercial impact chart, success, and fan response, huh? Critical reaction. The critical reaction was thoroughly mixed. Well, for Spin Magazine, King of the Nerds, Chuck Eddy. <laughs> I say that by love, by the way. Actually, I actually know Chuck. I used to date his daughter. Wait, what? Yeah, that's a story for not this show. But I, that's true. He's a great guy. He's a really nice guy. So I say that with love, but he is the King of the Nerds. Anyway, Eddie gave the album an 8 out of 10 and wrote about it quite favorably. I kind of chalk this up to Eddie really truly loving music and being a generally positive person who looks beyond what is probably his own personal tastes. And the music is, you know, fine. But it's kind of it. Oh, are you still in love with this Chuck Eddie guy? <laughs> <laughs> no. British Mags gave it almost no. across the board a four out of five. Allmusic.com surprisingly grilled the album, giving it just 2.5 out of 5 stars. What? Hmm. No way. Very OM- surprising. OMC must have missed that $50 payment, <laughs> that invoice that they said. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, like, they like, they oh. didn't manage their career very well, you know? Right. And the homie Robert Shitgow. I, oh, sorry, Chris Gow. He actually had the most reasonable take here. He notes that there are good songs on the album, but ultimately settles on declaring it an album that isn't really worth your time or money. Yeah, you want to know the rest? Hey, buy the rights. <laughs> That's honestly such a good line. So like good. such a good fucking line. The confidence to come up with that line. So good. Speaking of buying the rights, here's the commercial impact. Well, this album, for an album that apparently has one of New Zealand's biggest songs ever... The album only went gold in America. It has no other certifications anywhere. And I mean, going gold in America does mean at least 500,000 copies. So that's pretty serious. And in contrast, by the way, going for an album to go gold in New Zealand, it needs to sell 7,500 copies. <laughs> so different size countries. The single How Bizarre did a bit better. The single went platinum in the UK, selling at least 70,000 copies. It went platinum in New Zealand, selling at least 10,000 copies. It went gold in Germany, selling about 250,000 copies. And gold, by the way, as well in the UK, selling about 400,000 copies. How about that? So, chart success. As we touched on, this song was not eligible for Billboard the Boomer's Hot 100 when it was at its peak due to the since-reformed boomer laws requiring a single to have a physical copy for sale in the U.S. to chart on the Hot 100. Billboard boomer laws should be the band we start. <laughs> Beyond that, it peaked at... Number one on the mainstream top 40. Number chart. four on the radio songs chart. Number five on the adult top 40. Chart. Chart. Number 20 on the rhythmic chart. Rhythmic uh, chart. We'll touch on this briefly, but it also hit on... I mean, we're going to just touch on this very briefly, but it also hit number one in New Zealand, Australia, Ireland, Canada, and Austria. And I think it was also number one on the charty chart. Big chart. <laughs> it was number one on that chart, Yeah. Fan response. 
Oh, I love this section. It just always writes itself. I never need to think once when I get here. It's kind of incredible. I mean, shit. How Bizarre is the only OMC song anybody knows. People know the song without even knowing the name of the song, let alone the artist behind it. Yeah, I honestly thought it was like Matchbox 20 or like it's amazing. Third Eye Blind. It's absolutely amazing. Or Eagle Eye Cherry. You know, it could have been like any of those bands. All bad bands who arguably have Great songs. Mm, how about that? Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, dun. This is one of those songs of people who have zero unique taste and actual interest in music here, and they just go, oh, huh, isn't that fun? And by the way, folks, that's most people. And I mean, shit, it's fun. It is fun. Check it out. The official OMC YouTube channel has 25,000 subscribers. It is five videos. The video with the least plays has about 29,000 plays, right? The video with the second most plays has about 325,000 plays. But how bizarre has 27 million plays. 27 million plays! Yeah, honestly, it's the song I've played the most while writing the show. I kept putting it back on. It's so unoffensive it's amazing, that I can right? like, even write while listening to it. It's crazy. Now, on Spotify, OMC's top 10 ranges from Check This Out. 70,993 streams. On the bottom, two four hundred eighty-eight thousand three hundred seventy-seven streams for their top-ranking, normally-ranked songs. But but how bizarre! How bizarre has a hundred and seventeen million, one hundred and seventeen million, two hundred and ninety-six thousand six hundred and forty-six streams as of the time of writing. And again, TikTok. Now, I know it's not fair to call these people fans of OMC, but 2.2 billion views spread across about 384,000 videos on a single app is not a joke. There has to be some state... There has to be some shady shit happening with all that. Like, I gotta... Yeah, I gotta assume these streaming platforms are using, like, dead musicians who have easy Mm. rights to get to, to, like, you know, get the rights to push these songs, because... I don't know. That's a fun conspiracy. Conspiracy. <laughs> you all, you want to know the rest? <laughs> I, yeah, what do I have to do, Jerry? By the rights. <laughs> I didn't know which one that. I didn't know which one that one was. I think that the harp works bizarrely well for that. So let's get yeah. let's bring, speaking of sound cues. Let's get into segment three with a good old fashioned proprietary BBGS sound cue. Thanks, Shafe Palino. And let's talk about what makes the band bad. So what makes this band bad? All right. Well, for, for first, let's bring this up because I didn't actually write about this in the script. OMC and How Bizarre still kind of gets referred to as New Zealand's biggest musical export. I don't think that's true because Lord has gone diamond in America and she's from fucking New Zealand. Um, you know, the Royal song in particular went diamond in America. And that's 10 million in sales. You 10 million units, not dollars. Um, so I don't know if that's true anymore that it's the biggest export from New Zealand, but that doesn't, that doesn't make them bad. It's just kind of a negative statement. So I saved it for here. Just wanted to get that out of the way and not include that anywhere else, basically. So moving on to the actual analysis of what, oh God, makes this band bad. So this, uh, this what makes the band bad section is not, this is, this is, this is not going to be like most, like I, like I don't have a solid argument for this one. You know, uh, what I do have though is a fucking conundrum actually. 
I like that though. I think that should be like a part of our answer when they're like, "What makes like tell us what bit? Why why is the band bad?" And we could just say like, sometimes we don't even come to a solid conclusion, and it's about the conversation. God it is. It's it. not. It's not about a soundbite. It's about the conversation. Yeah, exactly. So this is where. So we're going to complicate things from the jump. This is this is my personal opinion and my critical stance. They're aligned here. This album is great. <laughs> this one album that the band made is great, but the band is bad. Well, there isn't really a band. There is not really a band, right. That's an interesting point. That is an interesting point. And how, it's going to be funny, right, making the case that they're bad when there's only this album to go off of and I'm saying it's great. But again, there isn't really a band. Whew. Well, so this is far from the worst thing we've ever looked at. In fact, I'm going to say I think that tra- the track Never Coming Back is genuinely very fucking good. Great, even. Yeah, it's got a decent vibe. He definitely sounds like he's having fun. Right, yeah, exactly. And this whole album, again, the only album, is very, very close to not being bad at all. Track Breaking My Heart has a laid-back funk feel and execution that's kind of like more key and like, like, like more low-key and, and focused Beck. Maybe that's a bad thing to you. I don't know. Yeah, his voice is super cool on this track, I think. It is. Yeah, and again, I don't think I wrote this in here because I started to realize it later on, but it's this laid-back element where I'm starting to hear this velvet undergroundy element to the band. It's very weird, or at least, again, walking on the wild side era Lou Reed. Now, I, I don't have some crazy thesis here, folks. I'm fucking, this episode whacked me out. Honestly, I'm very, I'm just, my mind's been blown by this one. I don't have a crazy thesis here that I'm going to try to passionately articulate to convince you all that this group is just plain old awful from an inarguable and objective standpoint. The things that feel bad to me about this are, frankly, end up what makes it great. Like, I love, I love that it's all over the place. I love that it's unapologetically what it is. The biggest criticism I can lay on it is, is that some of the lyrics, with some of these lyrics, we see that Pauly Fuimana and what he has to say isn't always a revelatory gift to humanity. You know, he's not necessarily some great poet of pop music, but he has promise and a surprising range. He has, a, he has, this is it. He has a wild, he has a wild, a truly wild and untamed conviction. Clearly, he's driven as hell. I mean, yeah. millionaire is the goal. Right, yeah, and he got there, right? Get rich right. or die trying, nowhere. basically. And this album, fuck it, it does not suck. It actually does not suck. But the fact that this could never be replicated, even by the two men involved, is some indicator to me of the artists involved. They caught lightning in a bottle, right? And they themselves are not, great enough individual elements to replicate it. Or maybe they just didn't have the opportunity to. Another criticism that I can lay on it is it can maybe become background music. But so can some gorilla stuff, actually. And I love that stuff. And also, have you been on YouTube, by the way, folks? Have you seen and heard the lo-fi beats to study and or chill to and weeb out over to some like cute fucking anime drawing? People especially now love vibes and atmosphere background music. And listening to this album stoned with sick-ass headphones on, I don't know, man. It definitely doesn't make this shit feel like background music. 
Yeah, it's honestly been a pretty fun listen. Right? I, I'm like going to probably send it over to a couple of buddies and be like, have you actually listened to this whole record? And then be like, how bizarre? How the fucking bizarre? Folks, this is a crazy one. I don't believe this music is bad. Far from it. I think this music is, is fucking wonderful and excellent, personally and critically speaking. But there is clearly a deficit with Pauly Fuemana in regard to his endurance as a live performing artist. Maybe that was his neurological illness rearing its head in very early stages. I don't know. It, it could be unfair to criticize his lack of endurance on the road, frankly. I do think Land of Plenty is kind of a pretty poor song, but that's just because it sounds like some shit written for children, in my opinion, which maybe just shows off Fuamana's and, and, and Jansen's range, actually, that they could, that they could write some like raffy-ass like kid shit. But in any case, folks, here, here it is. This music isn't bad. But the band wasn't built to last. OMC made some good music, but the group itself is not good. Poor live performances. I'm, I'm going to commit to it. Poor live performances and the, ability, the inability, rather, to ever remotely do anything else of any consequence is proof of this band being bad. So if we haven't pushed and nearly broken the limits of understanding of your understanding yet, folks, here we go. This music is great. This music is great. The music that this band made is great. But the band is bad. I think we've defended that. And that's the takeaway. Also, fuck. That track, Pours Out Your Eyes, is an incredible song. Yeah, also, She Loves Italian. Yes! Yeah! That, like, basically has this strange, floppy guitar solo through the whole entire song. And then he's just going through it like it's a, just a song that doesn't have a wacky guitar solo through the whole thing. <laughs> it's a very strange one. It's awesome. It is, it is. So, yeah, folks, we couldn't do this one like the other ones because this music isn't all bad at all. This is a weird one. Some might even say bizarre. How bizarre is it? Pretty bizarre. So, what makes this song great? Let's get into that technical analysis. The song starts with a simple downstroke of a bass with the rhythm lightly chattering in the back just to give your brain a very split second. I mean like a split, split second to understand that music is about to happen. It's kind of the musical equivalent of a poem or a bit of classic prose beginning with the word now or listen. It serves a purpose. And right after that purpose is served, the very next split second, the song starts in earnest with the whole band coming together. And then that, that major third guitar lick on, on the high strings comes in serving as the actual hook for the song and also the seed of Sugar Ray's mainstream pop hit sound. Hmm. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Then you have Fuimana's distinctive vocals. They are so bizarre and unique, it serves as another instrument, which is all a voice really is, by the way, an instrument. Fuimana's roughness and character-heavy voice is then rounded out and complemented by the clean, scintillating, and quite perfect female close-harmony backup vocals. Close and open harmonies, by the way. Uh, the difference between them, or, or, or chord voicings in another way of referring to it. They're simple concepts. A close harmony is when a harmony is, say, three notes, right? That's all you need for a chord. <laughs> is when that, when that harmony, when those three notes, for example, are all contained within one octave. That's close harmony. Close harmony vocals literally just sound like, like, in just, 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 
the individual voices, just all these individual voices creating a perfectly contained chord, sounding like a single conventionally voiced chord played by a guitarist. An open harmony, rather, we'll see perhaps, you know, two, maybe even more octaves crossed from the bottom to the top note of that harmony. So, simple concept, but if your ear isn't trained, it can be kind of hard to discern, you know. And uh, people, t- this is not something we touch on a lot, but people t- say the song is nonsense. I don't think that's true. I think the song is very clearly describing a day, describing a day in the life of people in oh, Otada. It's a great little, edit, yeah. And also, in the video, they're literally driving a 69 Chevy, which I think is cool. Now, I have a little bit of a theory. I have a little bit of a theory because Pauly Fuimana talked about stealing cars a lot in his youth. I wonder... Again, so if the course was originally like duff it up maybe and that was like about fucking shit up and maybe all of a sudden a cop responds, huh, you're driving 69 Chevy, huh, how bizarre. Is that cop wondering if he stole uh, that car? Oh, see, I wonder, you know? yeah. Right? Huh, maybe it's the stolen car, I mm, like that. This song isn't so much nonsense like people think it is. No, it's, a, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's a really, real, it's a folk song. It's a cool ass song. He tells a story, a very real story. It's kind of, it's awesome. Like I want to know the rest of the story. If only we could buy the rights. I know. Oh, well. R.I.P. King. Beyond that, folks, this song is arranged perfectly. There's never too much because there is a constant push and pull and give and take. But things are constantly changing. The horns drop out. The vocal harmonies come in. The horns come back in during the verse to accentuate vocal lines. It's just, it's perfect. The song is mapped out excellently. The individual elements intertwine and cross over each other without playing redundant notes. Every single element complements each other and creates a perfect whole. Fuck. Okay, I don't don't know. I don't know how I keep doing this. It it definitely was a perfect whole. Well, I... Anyway, this wasn't that kind of episode until just now. Anyway, on that note, time to get personal. <laughs> Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, Andrew. <laughs> so, <clears throat> before I share any personal feelings, I now need to make this case clear. Pauly Fuemana and OMC gave Sugar Ray the sound that changed their career. This is something we've touched on in the show before. There are people out there who will jump on any opportunity they get to just tell you that Sugar Ray used to be a real band. Oh, man, they used to be a metal band before they went pop. And those people are fucking crazy. But we can't agree on this. Sugar Ray 100% started off with a very different sound than the one most folks know them for. And yes, they were on Razor and Tie, a label people love to call a metal label. A label that has had bands like Attila, all right, fine, a party core, get shit, hyphy, metal core band, okay, all right, yeah, okay, sure, but metal, sure, whatever, all right, fine. Shadows fail, okay, sure, right, fine, metal, got it. Hate breed, yeah, sure, okay, hell yeah, man, I see this metal, you know, sure, okay. Saves the day, huh? I mean, I like, I like saves the day, but metal, really? Joe Jackson, Joe Jackson, Joan, this is all on the same label, Joan Baez, and John... Lithgow, John Lithgow, what the fuck? Selena Gomez, a metal label. Razor and Tie is a metal label, really? If you say that, stop it. Stop it right now, folks. Joe, I mean, this label's output is insane. It's absolutely fucking insane, but it is not a, quote, metal label. Maybe at one point it was, but it is not now a metal label. So that's a bad argument for Sugar Ray previously being metal. 
Next. Oh, but Mark McGrath used to scream and also rap and the guitars were heavy. Sure, all those things are true and none of those things guarantee a metal band or record of any kind. It's like, you know, you can liken it to American cheese. It has to legally be labeled as cheese product compared to actual cheese, which can just call itself cheese. Yeah, at the end of the day, the cheese product isn't cheese. <sighs> all right, well, I'm just... I'm going to end this cheese metaphor now, actually. Threads. That's, that's it. That's the point. Threads, folks. Sugar Ray was never a metal band. To say that is frankly an insult. Sugar Ray's old sound is a heavily, heavily hard rock and, and boom bap hip hop attempt at new metal. And they don't quite get it at all. The sun bleached poppy chorus shows this, this band wasn't on the same wave as Corn or Limp Bizkit. But don't get it twisted. Sugar Ray, as I hope I made clear, 100% had a very different sound before How Bizarre was released. Let's give this the old taste test, shall we? Let's do it. Let's listen to Iron Mike, the third and sort of biggest single from Sugar Ray's debut album. Now, 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 folks, let's listen to the hook of How Bizarre, released just five months after Sugar Ray's debut album. Now, let's give Fly by Sugar Ray a listen, a single that was released nearly two Full years after How Bizarre. How Bizarre. <laughs> okay. How about Every Morning Now? Every Morning by Sugar Ray. Bizarre. One last time, just so you can really hear it, folks. Everybody, when I wake up, has <laughs> a halo hanging from the from a foot post bed. <laughs> anyway, you. <laughs> Do you, do you hear that, folks? Now, I'm speculating, but I listen well, and the timing kind of works out. I believe 
I believe this, that we have a strong set of data points to support the argument that OMC, especially the song How Bizarre, gave Sugar Ray the sound of their singles. And on a broader scale, I think OMC, How Bizarre, and Polyfuimana set the trend for sunny and breezy sounds that set the scene for the band called Smash Mouth. Mm. Oh, how about that? Mm. How about that it? String fascinating stuff, huh? Yeah, I wonder what the years are, though. Like, who is the actual originator of this Uncle Cracker fucking <laughs> acoustic pop fucking that drowned the radio for OMC, years? How Bizarre came out before any of those songs. Yeah? Yeah. There we go. Anyway, <laughs> beyond all that, which I had to get out of the way, my personal reaction to this song is something that has deepened over time, actually, folks. With each subsequent listen... And you know, there's actually an article that we didn't go over, we've alluded to from stuff.co.nz. It, it begins, Pauli Fuimana was a consummate original, a Polynesian rapper who dressed like a lounge lizard with the defining hit conceived as a contemporary take on Bob Dylan and the Velvet Underground. Now, at first that blew my mind and fucked me up, but after repeated listens, I hear it. I hear the Velvet Underground in the song and OMC in general, and frankly... It's like a lot of Sweet Jane and I heard in How Bizarre and later as I think it hit me with Sisters Underground. It's it, it Walk on the Wild Side era, Lou Reed, that I hear in a lot of this stuff. And the seemingly surreal rambling story that's allegedly about nothing that Fuamana tells in How Bizarre is not unlike something out of Bob Dylan's 115th Dream, a song that people love and then celebrate the lyrics of, too, you know? Anyway, as we briefly touched on in the beginning and addressed a bit more in the band's story, there's also a whole new generation of basically unheard of musicians representing the various Pacific Island cultures that are part of New Zealand, a.k.a. AKA Aotearoa, right? These young musicians are blowing the door off expectations of what anything labeled Pacifica is meant to sound like. The urban Pacifica that Phil Fuimana pushed forward and that was featured on the, the Proud compilation is actually quite large and expansive. It certainly requires hip-hop to exist, but its sounds are, are really diverse. Also requires Afro men. Also. <laughs> Requires Afro man. That's true. Well, that's the that's the current music Musica Pacifica playlist. Right. But yes, 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 yes. But after that proud comp, right? Then eventually in the two thousands and the twenty tens, Urban Pacifica, that music became a very specific version of what kind of mainstream American hip hop was in the early two thousands. The new generation of Musica Pacifica, I believe, makes good on that promise of genre bending and boundless art that was made with the proud compilation and. Not to discredit anybody, but I think the new generation has more in common with what was on that proud compilation than they do with, say, like a Savage or Decepticons or even a Chefu whose blend of funk and, and other genres was pretty far out as far as that Pacifica scene goes. So, folks, again, this is we're going to link to this in the description. I implore you, we implore you to actually go and enjoy the How Bizarre album, though the proud and urban Pacific Street Soul compilation album, and that Musica Pacifica playlist that we'll link to. Yeah, we go link that. It's fucking awesome stuff. And folks, that's... Oh, if that's it, that's it. I think it's... <laughs> I think it's time to bid you all, the folks at home, a good night and a farewell. So, folks, thank you for your time. Stay strange. Be kind and love yourselves. Yeah, and you want to know the rest? Hey, buy the fucking rights. You didn't, you didn't get the rim shot sound effect for that? You didn't get the rim shot sound effect for that it's one? It's not a fucking joke, Andrew. <laughs> if you want to know the rest, buy the rights. We'll see you in hell, folks.